Well, I absolutely love living in the Northwest, but there's still one thing that I haven't been able to fully wrap my mind around, and that is that some of y'all are crazy about your dogs. I'm not gonna, not gonna point you out, but you know who you are. Just a little bit crazy about your dogs. And, uh, and I just still marvel at that because it's just, I, I thought I loved my dog. Then I moved to the Northwest and realized it's like pales in comparison to what you guys do with your dogs. And, and so uh, we were on a trip a couple weeks ago. I talked about this last week, but uh, a number of us uh, took a trip to Israel and Palestine and we're in the, the Portland airport. I love the Portland airport. And we're sitting there and uh, I love people watching and it's a great airport to people watch. And uh, people are going, you know, coming in. Uh, there's this couple that walks in and between the two of them, they have four little dogs. And so they each are holding two leashes and they have these little dogs. And I, I just leaned over to our, our group and I said, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to travel with four little yappy dogs? I just don't get it. And I, you know, they're, they're just laughing at me. And I'm like, look, I understand if you want to own those dogs, you love those dogs, that's great. But why would you want to bring those dogs on an airplane with you? That just doesn't sound fun. And they're, you know, like, oh, Jeremy, you just got to adjust to, you know, dogs. I'm like, all right. So I don't think anything about it. Well, then uh, 45 minutes later or whatever, uh, we're, we're boarding and getting everything ready. And I've got, you know, I'm staying there and we've got the rest of our, our crew behind me. And we're getting on the airplane. I find my seat. It's this couple. And I literally do it like a double take. I'm like, no, this, no, come on. And sure enough, I'm on the window trapped in between them, you know, and, uh, and I'm like, Oh no. And so I had this moment, then I look back to see our group like, help, and they all have these stupid grins on their faces. <laughs> and they just think this is the best thing they've ever seen. And so I'm like, oh, this is gonna be painful. I sit down and no joke, within the first 30 seconds, one of the four dogs is already on my lap. And I'm like looking at it, I'm like, I, this isn't my dog. I don't want your dog on my lap while I'm flying. And the other dog's like in my bag already. And it's like, okay, this, this is gonna be a very long flight. Uh, but then something amazing happened. As I was in this middle of this confusion, I heard one of our groups say to the person on the end, hey, I think you're in my seat. Oh, sweet Jesus. So they end up realizing they're in the wrong row. They have to move. Uh, it was like this whole glorious thing. But here's the best part. Uh, one of our group, the chair of our board of elders, uh, snapped a photo of this moment, um, unbeknownst to me, and then posted it later without telling me either. And uh, what I realized when I saw this photo was how angry my face looks. And I thought I was covering. Like, I thought, like, nobody knows how mad I am right now. But you know, like, you can see it. And so I want to show you a photo right in the midst of all this moment. This is me sitting by my friends. Uh, so dog number one, dog number two, dog number three, dog number four, and then just my look of like, what is happening right now? Now, I, I share all that to tell you today's message has a unique title. I'm titling the message today, Don't Feed the Dogs. Now, some of you are going to get a little bit 
uh, on the defense of this, and I just need to relax. Uh, I'm not anti-dogs, and I'm not talking against your dogs, but we're going to read about dogs today in the passage. And this is amazing, and so I just had to like, set the context of, if you're a dog lover, it's okay. We're not talking about your little furry friends, okay? We're talking about a different kind of dog, so just hang with me. Uh, you're, it's going to make sense in just a moment. Now, I want to welcome you today. We're so glad you're here, uh, wherever you're watching this with us. If you're with me in the room, or you're watching or listening online and uh, via podcast, so glad that you're a part of this. Uh, my name is Jeremy, the lead pastor here, and we are a church about giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. And we're in a series right now going through the book of Philippians. And so if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to get those out. If you've got a physical analog Bible with you, go to Philippians chapter 3. If you've got a Bible app on a phone or a device, I encourage you to get that out as well. Uh, if you are a regular with us, you know that we use this each and every week. I encourage you to bring it, read it for yourself, and dive into this together with us. Now, uh, we're going to be in our journals in week four. And so hopefully you got a journal and you've been uh, bringing it back with you. You've been writing in it. This is a great tool for you in your own study or to reference back later. Uh, also encourage you to use this with your life group throughout the week as well. Now, if you've been with us in this series, you know that Philippians is like one of the happiest letters that Paul ever wrote. It's, it's just oozing with joy. We've been talking about joy and, and everything and all these circumstances. And Paul has found joy. He's teaching the church in Philippi how to find joy. And, and so I don't know what you think of when you think of Paul throughout this letter. And as you have read this and as you're listening to it, I don't know like what comes to mind. Maybe you think of like a saintly version of Paul. You know, he's, he's just, just this really nice guy, but... Here's what you're going to realize. You get to our passage today in chapter 3, Paul is going to make a hard left turn. Like all of a sudden you're going to wonder, what did Paul have for breakfast? Because he's a little bit grumpy now. He, he's like not the same guy. It almost doesn't feel like we're in the same book. Instead of this guy, here's who we're going to get today. He's going full Clint Eastwood, you know. Get off my lawn. And it was notice that Clint Eastwood's always angry now in his movies. Like any movies, and he's mad. I don't know. But this is going to be Paul today. Paul is mad. He's like fired up. And you're going to go, whoa, what happened to the guy? And then we, we're, next week we'll get right back into joy. Okay? So just understand you're in the same book. This is a unique passage in the midst of this. But I got to tell you, I love today's passage. It is so fun. Uh, we're going to get into something that uh, you don't often hear preached on because it's a little bit weird, but I love this passage and we're going to explore it together today. So if you're with me in Philippians chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 1 and it's going to start off sounding like Paul has sounded throughout the entire letter so far. It says this, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. I, I recognize this, Paul. This is the guy we've had, you know, for the last two chapters. Like, this, this is joyful, Paul. And then get, you, get to verse 2. Watch out for those dogs. What? You're like, I'm, I'm sorry, what, what just happened? Like, Paul just all of a sudden switches. Watch out for those dogs. In Greek, it's spelled D-A-W-G. That's a joke. Have someone young explain that joke to you next to you. Uh, it's a joke. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. What on earth? Is Paul talking about here? Beware the dogs? Like, watch out for these dogs? What is he talking about? Now, you might have any number of, of theories about who, you know, he's talking about. Maybe 
there was this like, you know, this like atheist group in Philippi and they're trying to infiltrate uh, the, the local church. And as we said, watch out for those dogs. Maybe it's a bunch of like liberals and they're trying to have a, an agenda and they're bringing in. I, you don't know where you want to go with that. You can have lots of theories on like, this is where, you know, this is what's happening. But what you might not realize, Paul's talking about Christians. And in fact, Paul's talking about a, a particular group of Christians. These were Jewish Christians. And the Jewish Christians were existing within the church in Philippi. And they were going around to the other people in the church who were Gentile Christians. Now, again, Jews uh, had a whole different history, a different culture. The Gentiles didn't have it. They didn't have Father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They didn't have the Jewish roots. They had just come uh, to Jesus through conversion, uh, probably through the church in Philippi. So these Jewish Christians would go to the other ones in Philippi and they'd go, hey, uh, are you part of the church in Philippi? Yeah, I am. Are you, you follow Jesus? Yeah, yeah, I do. And then they would say, have you been circumcised? And they would say, what? Yeah, have you been circumcised? No. Well, oh, well, you, you got to get circumcised. What, 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 do you, what do you mean? Like, we, we didn't know this. Like, yeah, yeah no, you, you need to be circumcised if you're going to be a real Christian. Like, you have to get circumcised. And, and they're going, whoa, wait. Paul never mentioned that. Like when Paul talked about following Jesus, that's kind of an important detail. He should have told us if that's what we had to do to follow Jesus. But, but Paul never said that. And then these Jewish Christians were coming and going, oh yeah, well, well you, you have to. And they're like, you know what? No big deal. Come over on Tuesday night. We'll take care of it for you. Uh, you know, <laughs> you'll be back up and running in no time. No big deal. And, and you have this rift of these Christians going, do we have to do that? Like, like Paul, do, like, so they're like, it's getting back to Paul that, that they're going, whoa, you never told us this. And Paul's like, no, no, no. Paul's in an ancient Twitter battle, right? He's like, look, we are not doing this. You do not have to do that. Watch out for those dogs. And, and you might be going, well, what's the issue here? What, what, what's going on here? Well, I wrote it down like this. Don't let your activity for Jesus eclipse your view of Jesus. See, what's happening is that these Jewish Christians were so focused on what they were doing, which primarily in this regard was adding circumcision to what it meant to be Christian, that they were losing sight of Jesus. And Paul is, is making a huge issue of this. And Paul is like, I'm going to die on this hill. Like, we're going to make a big stink about this because this was a huge deal for Paul. Now, the way Paul does this is so amazing, so good. If you have ever thought your Bible was boring, you haven't read it closely enough. I'm going to show you this today, and it's going to make some of you feel uncomfortable. And we're going to be uncomfortable together, okay? Because this is one of the greatest arguments that Paul uses, and it is so snarky and so fun. And I'm going to show it to you, and we'll break it down together. Now, he refers to these Christians in three ways. He calls them dogs evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. Each of these is significant. Why dogs? Well, if you were a Jewish person talking to another Jewish person, if you were discussing someone who was a Gentile, someone who was not Jewish, you might refer to them as a dog. Now, again, we hear that, we're like, that's incredibly insulting. It was insulting, but maybe not as much as we would say today. It was a common way that they would talk about Gentiles. Oh yeah, those dogs. Those are outsiders. They're not in with us. They don't have what we have. Now, Paul was Jewish. So Paul understands all this insider talk. And so what Paul is doing is he's turning the insider talk against themselves. And so Paul's going, hey, you know how you, what you call them? You're the dogs. And you can imagine them like, what? 
What did he just call us? We're not the dogs. They're the dogs. And Paul's like, no, 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 you're the dogs. And this was incredibly insulting for Paul to use this word, which was like their go-to insult, to describe them. Then he says, you're evildoers. Now, what we have to understand is they thought of themselves as super Christians. They were like, we already got Jesus, plus we've added circumcision and we've added all these other things. So they thought like they were super Christians. And Paul says, you thought you went this way, you went that way. You're, you're not a, a, even a Christian, you're an evildoer now. Again, incredibly insulting to say to someone who thinks that because of all the things they've added to it, they are a better Christian than anyone else. Paul flips it on his head and goes, no, you're actually evildoers. But then this is my favorite. He calls them mutilators of the flesh. Now that might not make sense because it's hard to see what Paul is doing in English. But if you look at the Greek, you realize the insult that he's making. Now, the, the Greek word that's used in this passage for circumcision is the word peritome, okay? Now, peritome literally means to cut around. Turn to your neighbor and ask him to explain why that's the word for circumcision. <laughs> it's a joke. Come on, guys, stick with me. All right, peritome literally means to cut around. It's a very precise word. Now, side note, I can't preach on circumcision without thinking about a story that happened to me years ago when I was in the hospital with our oldest, uh, I, you know, our first boy and didn't know what was going to uh, experience. And some of you had this. I had the weirdest conversation with the doctor maybe I've ever had in my life. He comes in the room. He says, all right, it's time to take your son to get him circumcised. I said, okay. And then he said to me, do you want to watch? <laughs> Who says yes to this question? Like, no, I don't want to watch. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to know about it. I want you to bring him back bandaged, and we're all going to pretend like this never happened. Like, I, do I want to watch? Like, no, I don't want to watch that. I don't know why I thought about that. But peritome <laughs> is the idea of to cut around. Now, this is what they're saying. Both literally, they're adding circumcision to the, 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 the uh, church here, but they're spiritually adding this as well. They think of themselves as a spiritual peritome. We are the surgeons. We are enhancing your spirituality. And the word that Paul uses is a, a contrast where he uses the word catatome. So they think of themselves as peritome. You can see how these look similar. Catatome is the idea of mangling the flesh, mutilating the flesh. And so Paul is using a very graphic word to say, you think you are cutting around and helping people enhance the spirituality. You are mangling people. You're not the peritome, you're the catatome. And you can imagine them going... What did he just call us? So this week, if you really want to insult someone, just call them the catatome. They'll have no idea what you're talking about and you can feel so good. Like Paul Byrne, yes. Like <laughs> it's just a weird thing. But Paul is in Greek, if you understand it, Paul is insulting them and going, you think you're paratome, you're catatome. And they're like, I can't believe Paul called us this. Why is this such a big deal? Why is Paul so fired up about this? Here's why I think. There's nothing that you can add to Jesus without diminishing Jesus. That's why it's such a big deal. There's nothing you can add to Jesus without diminishing Jesus. Now, here's the problem. Uh, this was not an issue that the ancient church had to deal with, and we have since solved, and none of us deal with this today. This is in every single one of us. We want to add things, Jesus plus this. And we each have a different set of what this is. Jesus plus 
Jesus plus, Jesus plus. And what we think of when we're doing that is, we don't use these words, but we think I'm the spiritual paratome. I am enhancing people's spirituality. They are better Christians because of how I have helped them. And Paul is trying to make the argument, you are diminishing Jesus. You do not end up with more than you had. You end up with less. Now, today, our issue that we're fighting over is not whether or not to be circumcised as part of Christianity. That's not the the same contextually. But there's a number of things today that you either hear Christians say, you have to have this, or on the flip side, you cannot do this, right? And depending on your background, some of you may have uh, grown up in a very conservative tradition. Uh, There may have been a number of things that you were told, if you're a Christian, you can't do X, Y, and Z. Here's a a number of things that I'm I'm aware of. Uh, No dancing, uh, no movies, no drinking, no mixed bathing. Now, fun fact, that last one might confuse you if you're not from a traditional uh, background. It's probably not what you think it is. We think of mixed bathing, we're like, yeah, I don't think guys and girls should be in a bathtub together. That's kind of weird, you know, like sounds like a good rule. That's not what mixed bathing refers to. Mixed bathing is the idea of a guy and a girl in the same swimming pool together with clothes on. Like, just so you understand. But again, there are Christian traditions that would tell you no mixed bathing. If you're a Christian, that's absolutely off limits. Now, some of you, maybe you're like, yeah, that, I like those rules. Uh, maybe you came from those rules, right? Maybe those will still weigh on you today. But maybe for you, you're like, well, that's not it for me. I don't, I don't have those. Uh, I was thinking about, there's, there's one to me that I hear more than any other one that we add to Jesus. And most of us don't even realize we do. Don't even realize that it, it's a weird thing to add to him because it's so common in the church today. And so let's get uncomfortable together. Uh, for most of us, what we say is it's Jesus plus the Ten Commandments. Right? Doesn't that sound good? Yeah, Jesus plus the Ten Commandments. Everybody, that's like, of course, why would we not have the Ten Commandments? Ten Commandments out of school, let's rise up. Christians, come on. But what you may not realize is the Ten Commandments are 10 of 613 rules in the Old Covenant. Like, you're probably not living under the Old Covenant, but you might be cherry-picking a number of those regulations and omitting the ones that you don't like. Like, don't wear clothes of mixed fabrics. Most of us are, you know, polyester, not a big deal, but whatever, you go, I'm, I'm okay with that one. But you start to realize, oh, there's a whole bunch of those in the Old Testament. And what most of us do is we carry a number of things over. And so it's Jesus plus this. Here's what you have to understand. If you, un, if you know Jesus, and I don't have time to explain this, but Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. He was the only one that could do it. And as he fulfilled it, he said, now you follow me. You don't follow that anymore. You follow me because I have fulfilled it. And so if you want to experience Jesus, you don't get to go back and add things to him. Uh, I, I could go on and on. There's a number of things. You go, well, what does it mean for us? I, Christians say, well, you, you listen to secular music? You, you're not allowed to listen to secular music. I mean, you could just go on and on. There's all kinds of things that we say, if you're a Christian, this is an absolute requirement. Now, again, there is wisdom in figuring out how can you best live out your faith. But the moment you say to someone else, this is what it means to be Christian, you have added something if you're adding things to Jesus. Now, you might go, what's the big deal? I I think this is, you know, common or this is the way it should be. What it creates is Christian tribalism, okay? Our tribe knows best. So our theology is best. Our practices are best. Our standards are best. And, and, And we think that we're doing something really good because we're elevating the way we do it above the way everyone else does it. 
The problem with this is here's what you're left with. That anyone outside our tribe doesn't have Jesus like we do. This is where this gets really sinister. You you don't go into it with those intents. You go into, oh, we're going to be the best Christians we can be. But the moment you start saying Jesus plus, Jesus plus, Jesus plus, and you start saying this is what it means if you want to follow Jesus, that you create this tribalism. And anyone outside our tribe doesn't have Jesus like we do. And then you start to view other churches as the enemy, other Christians as the enemy, because you are sucked into tribalism. And Paul is saying, don't feed the dogs. Do not play this game. Watch out for anyone that is going to try to get you to think this way. Now, as a church, which we are a church, we have to come up with an answer. When someone says, what does it mean to be Christian? Um, If you're an individual, you don't have to necessarily have that answer figured out. As a church, we have to be able to say to someone, hey, what does it mean to be Christian? We have to give them an answer, which is tricky for churches to figure out how much do you do in that answer? How small is the answer? How big is the answer? What's the right size for that? We wrestled through this with the board uh, last couple years, and we've come up with eight statements, and I've preached this before. Eight things that we say, hey, at the core, we think it's this eight and it's no more than that. It's just this. But if you lost any of this, you're probably not following a biblical view of Jesus. Now, by way of review, let me share the eight with you uh, in case you are a little hazy on them or you maybe you've never heard them. We affirm the essential beliefs of the church, including the inspiration and the authority of scripture, the triune nature of God. God exists in three forms, father, son, and spirit, the deity, humanity, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's fully God, fully person, and he really did rise from the grave. The creation of the world, the fall of humanity. And here's what I would say. Uh, even if you're not a Christian today, and, and if you're not and you're joining us wherever, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, you are welcome here if you don't agree with any of this or if you agree with all of it. Uh, but here's the deal. I, I would suspect that even if you go, yeah, I'm not a Christian. I don't know where I'm at with all this. You sense something is off. Something is broken with this world. Things are not as they should be. And from a spiritual point of view, we would say this is sin. That we understand, yeah, something in God's perfect design was off. It's been broken. That creates the ultimate problem that we're trying to figure out what do we do about, which leads to the next one, the need for salvation in Jesus alone. The world's going to tell you there's lots of different ways you can solve this problem. We think if you're going to be a Christian, you got to put that hope into Jesus the return of Jesus. He didn't just let us go and go, hey, hope it all works out for you. Uh, He's intimately involved. He will come back. He will return. And finally, we believe in God's ultimate victory over evil. Now, when we talk about this with someone, and I'll get in a conversation with someone about, hey, what does it mean to be a Christian as you guys, uh, again, define it? Uh, Most of the time, what I hear from people is, wow, this is a refreshing list. I, I, you know, I hear things like, I, I, I was told it was so much more than that. I was told this and that. And, and man, this is, this is easy. I can wrap my mind with this. See, this for us, I, here's why I like this list. I would say most Christians in most churches, in most nations throughout most of history would all agree with this list. Okay, that's why I think it's a, it's a very, this is the core, it's like the lowest common denominator. What does it actually mean? Now, again, we have lots of opinions about other things and they're worth having, but what does it mean to be Christian? We would say this is it at its core. And every now and then I'll have someone say to me, well, I think there should be more than that. I think there should be like 16 of those. Or I think each one of these should be a paragraph. Or I think there should be, you know, sub points and bullet points between each one. And, and, and I understand it because we all have that tendency. But here's what I would say. This is what Paul is saying. Don't 
feed the dogs. Watch out for the dogs. When, when there's a tendency to keep adding things, adding, and you may think this is a lot. And I would tell you, look, this, we're trying to make it as simple as we can without distorting a biblical view of Jesus. That for us, we go, that's as simple as we know how to make it. And the goal for all of us is to figure out how do we keep it focused on Jesus? How do we not add in all the other things that we have opinions about and say, you have to agree with me on X, Y, and Z in order to become a Christian? Now you might go, okay, well, I'm with you so far. Watch where Paul takes this argument next. Verse four, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. What's Paul doing here? This is tongue-in-cheek, but Paul is giving us his spiritual resume. Look, if you want to follow someone, you want to know who, who has the right to tell me Jesus plus what? Paul goes, I'm the guy. I have it more than anything. And Paul's giving us three ways to understand his credibility. It's heritage, achievement, and zeal. Paul has a unique heritage. He's the ultimate Jew who became a Christian. He, you know, checks all those boxes. Achievement, he has done more than anyone else. And zeal, he's so passionate about Jesus and he's more passionate than anybody. And his point is, if I wanted to, I could claim these three things and I could be the one to tell you it's Jesus plus this. But Paul's argument is, I'm not going to play the game. Now here's the reality. Many of us, we want to play this game. So we go back to our heritage, our achievement, our zeal to try to help people understand why we are credible to add things to Jesus today. Oh yeah, well, I, I, I'm, I've been like a Christian for a long time. My grandma used to read the Bible to me when I was a kid. And we start telling people how we come from a long line of this and achievement. I once read the Bible twice in a year. That's how, that's how much I've accomplished. And zeal, man, I'm the first one at church every week. I'm so passionate to pray. And we, we use these things to, to buffer ourselves up to go, this is why you should listen to me. This is why I'm a credible source to tell you what you should add to Jesus in order to be a Christian. Now, Paul's doing this. He's doing it tongue-in-cheek. So I thought, what the heck, I'll try it as well. So I made my own list. Would you like to hear my spiritual resume? Doesn't matter, I'm going to read to you anyways. Okay, it's a trick question. So here's, here's my, I'll, I'll play along with this, right? I was baptized in the third grade, trained in seminary, ordained in the Christian church, a second generation preacher, a jernigan of jernigans, right? I mean, like all of us could do this. We could like go down and go, why am I qualified to tell you this? And here's the point, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can make whatever list you want to make. You can make yourself sound awesome. And Paul goes, it doesn't matter. Let it go. And yet for some of us, oh, that is hard to do. Some of us have spent so much time trying to create achievement, trying to create that persona of we know what it means to be a real Christian. People can come to us and we can tell you. You ever met a person that's like not really in the present moment because they're stuck on the past? Like they just like keep going back to things that they used to do or could have done or should have done. And, and so you, you like look at them, you're like, you're not really fully here because you keep looking back. I think a lot of Christians live that way. Oh yeah, let me tell you all the things I've done for my faith. And, and we're not in the moment with God because we're so busy looking back. Whenever I think about this, I think about a, a character in the movie Napoleon Dynamite. Any Napoleon Dynamite fans? 
My wife told me this week that this movie is celebrating its 15-year anniversary, which makes me feel super old. But I love this movie. I, I think it's incredible. And there's a character in this movie named Uncle Rico. And if you've ever seen the movie, this character I think about because this, to me, sums up the way a lot of Christians act about their achievements. Check this out. Don't be Uncle Rico and don't let your activity for Jesus eclipse your view of Jesus. Paul's going, look, my resume beats all of your resumes and I'm not using it to tell you other things. I'm using it to tell you it's not about achievements. Now, Paul's going to close out this argument in a profound way. Notice how he gets to in in verse 7. He says this, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's going, I want to lose it all. It's not about accomplishments. It's about giving it all up. For Jesus. Do we want to know Jesus like that? Do we want to join him in his sufferings, being like him in his death, so that we experience the power of his resurrection? You might go, well, that last part I like, the resurrection power. Let's, let's do that. Well, as Paul knows, you don't get resurrection without death first. So Paul's like, if you want the resurrection power, the power that literally brought Jesus Christ back to life, that conquered sin, that conquered death, you don't get that without death first. You don't resurrect a living thing. And some of us, the reason why you're not experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus in your life is it's so filled with you. There's no room for it. You will not die to yourself. You will not empty yourself. It is filled with you and your accomplishments. And then you go, yeah, I want more of that resurrection power. Then you have to empty yourself out first. You have to participate with Jesus in his sufferings, in his death. You have to be willing to say, it's not about me. Last week, we we gave a challenge that you are more important than me. I've heard from so many of you who have said that has wrecked your week. I love it. It's wrecked mine as well. You are more important than me. This is what it means to live out the power of the resurrection life. But we don't want that. We just want to fast forward to the end. Get me to the part where I experience all that power. I don't want to deal with everything else first. There's something inside of us. We like the show more than we like the process. And this is true in all aspects. I read recently that from the years 2009... To 2014, sales of yoga clothes increased 10 times as much as participation in yoga classes. 
Why? We don't want to do yoga. We want to look like we do yoga, right? We just want to look the part. We're not actually going to do it. And so they, they just notice this. And we all have it. Even if you have no yoga clothes in your closet, you have things about you that you do just because it makes you appear a certain way and you like the way others treat you. You like the way you are perceived. We each have it. I once bought a pressure washer because I wanna be the kind of guy that owns a pressure washer and needs it, right? And I sold that pressure washer at a garage sale without ever using it one time. I'm not the guy that owns the pressure washer. I just wanna be that guy, right? And you have something similar. You are, you're not really that person, but you wanna be that person. You act like that person and you can get so wrapped up in achievements. And when you do this with your faith, I wanna look like the Christian that does this and does this. And I wanna look the part. I want people to perceive me like that. You will miss Jesus. You'll miss it. And so the question I have for each of us today is this. Are we content? with knowing Jesus. Is it good enough for us? We're just gonna know Jesus. We're not gonna achieve anything. We're not gonna have all these wins and successes and accomplishments. We're gonna be content with knowing Jesus, participating with him in his sufferings, in his death, so that we might experience the power of his resurrection. The reality is, a lot of Christians, the answer is no. I want more than that. I don't want just to know Jesus. I want to experience a bunch of cool things. Paul's going, I, I just want to know Jesus. That's good enough for me. I, want, I consider everything else a loss, garbage. I just want to know Jesus. I want to show you in Acts chapter 4, we find a description of some of the early disciples. I want you to note the way that they were perceived by others. This is Acts 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. It's because of people like Peter and John that we are here today talking about Jesus, retelling the stories of what he has done, because they took the time to share those stories, to give their life to those stories. Well, man, they must have been super Christians to do that. They must have had huge accomplishments. Nope, they were unschooled, ordinary men. But they had been with Jesus. That's all it takes. It's not about how good you are, what accomplishments you can do, your pedigree. It's not about anything. It's about learning how to be content to know Jesus, to participate in the life of Jesus. As he empties himself out, we join him in emptying ourselves out for the benefit of others. As my friend John Dickerson says, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, define people by what they did. Jesus defined people by whom they knew. That's really all it comes down to. There are no super Christians. There are just those who know Jesus and those who don't. And the goal for each and every one of us is to know Jesus, to be content, not with our accomplishments, not with all the things that we can add to it, but to truly know and experience Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray that this would be good enough for us. That in the, the midst of all the things that we want to add, the, the way we want to be perceived, the way we want others to treat us, the ability we want to have to speak into others' lives, to tell them what they need to do to be a Christian. In the midst of all that, you encourage us to watch out for the dogs, 
for those who would convince us there's got to be a lot more. And instead, may we realize we cannot add anything to you without diminishing you. So may we see you and we experience you. May we be content to know you, to join you in participating in your sufferings, being like you in your death. And may you fill us as a community with the power of your resurrection as we empty ourselves out to make the gospel good news for others. Jesus, may we know you this way. We pray in your name. And all God's people said, amen.